I'm Martin Green, and you're listening to The Portal. If I were you, I'd stick some headphones on at this point, because, as ever, it's all about the lugs. Episode 9, Angela Goes Out on Her Own. I think this has to be one of the strangest love affairs ever recorded. And during the course of this, I've also found myself falling in love with both Angela and her research. Should have seen that guy last night. Etheridge. I don't think I could say I'd fallen in love with him, but I do have empathy for the guy. Ah, oh, that's flat. It's 1950. I'd just been working for Etheridge for a while now, and they found themselves rather surprisingly engaged. Sometimes the wave finds equilibrium in a good place. The problem is, the universe isn't static. Physics is a fucker. Oh. Oh, that is flat. What do you mean you're not going to go? I mean, quite simply, that I do not intend to attend. I hate those things. You go. Dear God, Truman's really going to make an H-bomb. How did you even get the tickets? From my godmother, Lady Prudence Henthorne, one of my mother's unbearable bohemian friends. She sits on the board. Wow. Wow, if you're interested in people of standing who should know better gallivanting about like wildlings. I think I am interested in that. Because that's what we do, isn't it? Record culturally important events. Precisely. Events of traditional bearing and sociological importance. Not drunken aristocrats in fancy dress. Why is it more important to record drunken coal miners in fancy dress? Their theme is creatures of the sea, for God's sake. It's going to be bare-chested sailors and women dressed as Neptune. It's the Chelsea Arts Club Ball. I think you could take a weasel if you put it in an outrageous frock. 10.22pm, 31st of December, 1948. Chelsea Arts Club Ball. So much velvet. Woman dressed as Neptune. Surprising. Lady Henthorne, I'm Angela. Christ's sake, Christ. Come here, Paul. Everyone else does. Yes, ma'am. And so he sends you out to soggy fields to record the farm folks singing and dancing, does he? I'd rather enjoy it. I was up in Sheffield last week recording the mummin, please. Well, move that tried and there's a lamb. Why don't you put your shirt on, you cold darling? And what is the purpose of all these recordings? Look around. I, I think he wants to build a picture of how culture works in our society. Build a picture. Do be careful your metaphors. Why focus on the past? Passion moves so quickly. It's gone in a flash. Last year they were all to war with peacock feathers. Nothing. <laughs> <Ooh>. That's great. <laughs> uh, I'm just a recordist. I just gather things for Etheridge. Christ, does he still call himself that? Well, that was his name. You've no say in this. You are here at the cultural event of the year. He is not. You're very kind. I just like going out drinking. And then I think we have the very nub of it. What's what? Sophie says there's a lamb. Gospel. Telegram to George McKeskill, Balliol College, Oxford. Like the girl. New search to be done in modern culture. The girl is to record. I will pay for it. True. And just how serious is this thing, George? Because if it's not, there's someone you might like to meet. Arabella! 
moments I've picked out from this collection of tapes. You can hear Angela change. I suppose they're the ones I'm drawn to. Can't underestimate what this meant. We can hear her being given an opportunity here that is going to change her life forever. This is a massive turning point. Angela now had the freedom to choose what she researched. And she really flies. Le Louvre. Whilst George Edrich McCaskill was undoubtedly a key figure in his field of ethnomusicology, the person that brought these ideas to a popular audience and the focus of this program is Angela Dixon. Dixon made her first recordings as an assistant to Dr. McCaskill, but it soon became apparent that here was one of the century's great recording minds. Angela Starr was very firmly innocent. They still did a little bit of work together. They wrote that book together. A Thousand Years of Dance, that was how I found them. But all the press around that book seemed to focus on her. All the photos of her posing with these enormous recording machines, bag in hand. I think Etheridge might have been finding it hard. Could you put that file with the others? Yep. Thank you. Done. (sighs) I thought we might go out to eat tonight. Make a change from the college food, eh? A Chinese restaurant's just opened up on Broad Street. A Chinese restaurant? Early 1948. Uh, and no, Etheridge's return to black ink. I'm going to London, remember? I sense him increasingly unable to quell the top. You should come. The jazz is amazing. You'd love it. We have the richest cultural traditions in these islands. I, Shit. I don't... I'm late for the train. Bye. It seems by that time Etheridge has pretty much stopped going out. I think that he just sat in that room night after night. For a short while he hadn't needed the song. He and Angela engaged. The wave seemed to have rested in a place of contentment. But slowly the top grew stronger again. And that recording played a bigger and bigger part in his long, lonely nights. 1am, February 14th, 1949. I wish you'd come tonight, Eridge. I'm at Club 11. It's funny seeing this. They, they don't open till midnight and they don't serve drink. They just put Benzedrine in their coffee. It's pretty good. That music is Ronnie Scott and he's on fire. He's just, he's just in with the people. And it's not like audience and performer in here. It's just all these people together. Shit being lonely. Dixon caught the imagination of the public to a remarkable extent, including, of course, her best-known work. Recorded or it didn't happen. The only LP of documentary recordings ever to enter the UK album charts. I've actually got a copy of that record, and it is surprisingly listenable, if you can get hold of it. I found it genuine, like insightful, quite profound. And I do feel privileged and surprisingly emotional given that I only met her once that one of the last recordings she ever made was with me. She go to his room at the university. They've kept it just as he left it. You just but I didn't go. An appointment. I was just busy 
I don't know, everything seemed alright. I was off the fags, the top seemed to be at bay. And then November 2018, that box of Angela's tapes arrives at my house. She was the last link to Etheridge, and therefore my last living link to the top. Whatever had happened to Etheridge, I was very sure I didn't want it to happen to me. So in January 2019, kind of reluctantly, I went to Oxford. I made an appointment, and I went to Etheridge's room. 21st of January 2019, Balliol College, I made this pretty Oxford, desperate recording while I was in the Etheridge's room. room. <laughs> Angela would not have been impressed it's at all. It's surprisingly neat. I was a bit distracted. Uh, I mean, I expected it to be neat, but... Um, I kept wandering round his room. surprisingly neat. If it had been for the recording be equipment, the I could believe nothing had changed as Etheridge moved in. A photo hangs on the wall taken from his first year there. It's surprisingly effective. Probably 1937. And another of Etheridge at Harrow. But that was what spanned me out. All of a sudden I feel my stomach jump up through my body and I... I fucking know this photo. This photo is from my nightmare. The faces of these boys, I know it. Immediately there... In the middle of that room, I see it. I see him. I see him having a dream I have had so many times. He turns sharply. The game's master. Oh, shit. He's here again. It is cross-country, so it is winter. Etheridge, out of self-preservation, attempts to keep his lead. Up over the hill behind the school, he reaches the top, but at that point, the adrenaline cuts off. He can feel himself slowing. Here's the boys approaching. Out of sight now of the game's master, out in the wilds. McCaskill! Think you started a bit before the gun there, McCaskill. Not very sporting, eh? Not very fair on the rest of us. Not very British, McCaskill, eh? The boys grab him, one each to a limb, swing him vigorously to and fro and throw him down over the edge of the chalk pit behind the hill. Etheridge feels himself moving through the air, bracing himself for the landing. But he just keeps moving. He can see himself from above, arms by his sides like some buried warrior hovering over the chalk pit, this great hole in the landscape. For a moment he's quite relaxed, allows himself to marvel that this great chasm was made with flint and bone alone, and he was suddenly falling again. He was lower now, below the surface of the ground. The skull disappeared from view as the roots of trees came past him, and the skulls and bones and shields of some long-forgotten battle far from the sight of those on the surface. And as he fell and fell, he saw it all, the earth and the shields and the roots on the earth, and above it all the school. And he landed. He felt the impact, but no pain. He could not move. Not one part of him, but he could see. He saw the movement of figures dancing on the exposed chalk, white dust flying up. A dozen? Two dozen. Every creature moving as a single being, but yet with some clear, common purpose. It was wonderful. It had some perfect sense about it. He could see Angela in the herd. Edward felt himself rising. I just sat on the floor of Eric's room for a while. My head still half in that dream. He looked down. Human feet. A pair of trainers. 
My shoes. And I notice on the far wall, I look a serving hatch. It's on an outside wall. It just seems like a weird place for it. Push at it. It's been painted over. I stepped forward to dodge past it. The beast but it clearly opens. I push harder. It gives way. This is a disused chimney. I just had to go for it. One chance. I climb in. I could just stand up in there. Up on the opposite wall hangs a paraffin lamp. Covered in quarter of an inch of dust. I look down. Bloodstains. No. Red ceiling wax. Loads. Like red bird shit. Drops all around. And a silver plate. The hallmark just visible through the dust. I realise what I'm seeing on that plate. Bones. Rabbit, I'm pretty sure. And ceiling wax. Still keeping the shape of this long dead creature. Like the bodies in Pompeii. I turn round shine the torch straight in front of me there in a gilt gold frame a picture I know all too well that eyeless beast staring back at me holy shit this is an altar thanks for listening to episode 9 of the portal if you are enjoying it please do try and get a pal into it that's a massive help to us and if you're not listening on headphones give it a go you can buy the music album from my website or from Bandcamp the portal is directed by Wills Wilson Etheridge was played by Dylan Reed. Angela was played by Anna Russell Martin the TV presenter by Owen Whitelaw Prue by Alison Peebles and MG by Martin Green Dramaturgy by David Gregg recorded by Louis Blathwick mixed by Callum Malcolm with Cameron Malcolm Thanks to Eloise Whitmore for help with sound. Script, sound and music by Martin Green. Sax music by the beautiful Phil Bancroft. Big Band music featured John Ray's Big Feet and the Martin Green Machine with the Kirk and Tillich Band. Trombone solo by Rick Taylor. I was going to respectfully dedicate this to Rick's memory, but um, I think he'd rather we irreverently dedicated it, so we'll do that instead. Miss you, Rick. The voice of the song is Rady Pete. Canoon by Yazaman Najmedin. The executive producer and script editor was Polly Thomas. Produced by Martin Atkinson for Leapers Productions. The portal was commissioned and presented with Edinburgh International Festival, South Bank Centre, Oxford Contemporary Music, National Theatre of Scotland, Shetland Arts, the North Moor, Bristol Music Trust, and Bristol Beacon, Mac Arts, Gunner Shields, and was funded by Creative Scotland. Produced by Leapers and Naked Productions.